Hey there, welcome to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. We are celebrating friendship on the show this week, and we're going to be talking to somebody who knows all about the ups and downs of having friends. The writer Gary Steingart, his latest book, Our Country Friends, tells the story of eight friends, one country house, and six months in isolation. It's been called The Great American Pandemic Novel. And we're also going to hear some stand-up comedy from one of our friends here at LiveWire, Atsuko Okatsuka, who was dangerously funny last time she was on the show. I mean, usually busted a gut is kind of figurative, but I felt like I was in literal danger of that happening. So we're going to see how it goes. Then we're going to get some music from a couple of friends who met on the banks of the Mississippi, the banjo duo, The Lowest Pair. That's the plan. Thank you for being a friend and traveling down this road and back again. A journey that starts right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's going really well. Are you ready for some station location identification examination? Lay it on me. This is the part of the show where I quiz Elena about a place in the country where live wires on the radio. She's got to guess where I am talking about. Okay. Uh, this is the birthplace of the great Tin Pan Alley songwriter, Hoagie Carmichael. It's also the birthplace of the musician and novelist and one-time Livewire guest, John Darneal of the Mountain Goats. Well, Hoagie Carmichael wrote Georgia On My Mind. How about this? This city was the location for the 1979 Academy Award-winning film Breaking Away. Bloomington, Indiana. <laughs> That's right. A hundred percent. I knew, I knew you would get the Breaking Away reference of course, it's Bloomington, where we're on WFM2 in Bloomington, Indiana. I, when I saw that movie, I was young, and I thought, well, that's it. I'm becoming an Italian cyclist. Yes, yes. And uh, signorina. And uh, <laughs> and then at the very end, when everybody's hugging each other, and Daniel Stern doesn't have anybody to hug, so he just punches himself in the arm. <laughs> <laughs> a classic. Well, we're going to try to turn in a classic episode of Livewire this week. Are you ready to give it a shot? Let's do it. All right. Go for it. From PRX, it's... This week, writer Gary Steingart. 
I've written about people I've known uh, before, and nobody ever guesses that they're that character. Because people have <laughs> no self-knowledge, you know. <laughs> and comedian Atsuko Okatsuka. Like, I really thought that I was going to start planting lettuce. And then my husband had to remind me that that's not my personality. With music from The Lowest Pair and our fabulous house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Hey, thank you so much, Elena Passarello, and everyone else tuning in from all over the country, including Bloomington, Indiana. We have a great show in store for you this week. Uh, we asked the Livewire listeners a question because we're talking about friendship on the show this week. We asked, what's the kindest thing a friend has ever done for you? And we are going to hear those responses coming up in just a little bit. First, though, it's time for us to bring you the best news we heard all week. This is our little reminder, really as much for us as the listeners at the top of the show, that there is good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what is the best news that you heard this week? Uh, Sonic good news. This is something that I didn't know, but apparently... More than 37 million American adults have hearing loss issues, but only 25% of that group uses hearing aids. And one of the reasons for that is the expense and the limitation, the lack of access to hearing aids. It's actually kind of insane. Like you could only until very recently get hearing aids via a prescription from an audiologist. They also did the fitting and the testing. And there were only a few companies that made and regulated these hearing aids. So they would usually start cost-wise at like $2,000. $2, wow, that's prohibitive. And they go all the way up to like eight grand and beyond. And um, Medicare and most private insurance didn't cover those hearing aids. So this is a huge boundary to a significant portion of the population that would probably live a much more comfortable life if they had access to hearing aids. Well, not to mention that there's actually a lot of research out now that when somebody has a hard time hearing what's going on in the room they're in or with the people that they're in conversation with, it actually then leads to a lot of other deleterious effects later in life because you become more isolated. Yeah. And that is often an issue for a bunch of other things. It's not just about being able to hear someone in a loud room, but it can really be about quality of life in a whole bunch of ways. Amen. To say nothing about the stigma that's sort of attached to hearing loss. And well, I'm here to tell you the good news. Over-the-counter hearing aids are finally going to start being available. This is after a law that was passed five years ago. A federal law has finally taken effect. Meaning that now you can get hearing aids over-the-counter, which I'm presuming that also the idea is that over time that will bring the cost down as well. Yeah. I mean, right now you're going to start being able to get a $199 hearing aid from Walmart a $1,000 hearing aid from Best Buy, and about an $800 hearing aid from Walgreens. So all of those are significantly cheaper than anything you used to be able to get through the existing system. And then this is going to create a market that uh, hopefully influences innovation and competition. 
and also will create like tech support and user friendliness, just like with cell phones, right? In the beginning, they all cost a bunch of money or VCRs. And then everybody kind of learned how to make them, manufacture them, and then also how to maintain them. So it's a little bit of an uphill battle because people are now going to have to do the work that an audiologist used to have to do when they buy these over-the-counter hearing aids. But we're on our way to making a much more open-ended, transparent, clear, and accessible pathway for 37 million Americans to get the auditory care that they need. That is great news. I saw some positive news that's, well, it it's not exactly medical, but it's sort of medical adjacent, okay? And it involves a firefighter in Baltimore by the name of Megan Warfield. Now, uh, Megan Warfield uh, was nine months pregnant and was riding in a car in Maryland when unfortunately she was involved in this six-car accident that was actually pretty serious. In fact, one of the cars flipped completely over with the driver of that car trapped in the vehicle. And what Megan did, even though she had been on desk duty at the fire station, because she was with child and they thought, let's, you know, not do anything dangerous. In this moment, she decided to run over and basically climb into the car and, because there were no other medical you know, personnel on the scene yet and take care of this woman who was in the vehicle that was overturned. And she was apparently instrumental to the driver of the car that was overturned being able to stay calm. They took that person to the hospital. They were okay. Everybody was okay from this accident eventually. But the last person to get medical attention was Megan Warfield, the nine-month pregnant person. Did she have who, the baby? <laughs> she. They took her to the hospital because she went into labor from doing this. And in fact, the the, the stress and the physicality of, of what uh, sort of went on meant that her baby was traverse- or sideways, the baby turned sideways. And so uh, she went into labor. Luckily, the baby, little Charlotte, was born perfectly healthy to uh, Warfield and her boyfriend, Joshua. It's their uh, third child. And everybody is doing really well. But I mean, it's just an amazing story of selflessness and of, I mean, and just the fact that the medics show up and this person who's nine months pregnant and has the baby now turned sideways in them is like, please take care of everyone else before you get to me. Shout out to Megan Warfield and also glad to hear that everybody involved in that is going to be okay. That is the best news that I heard all week. All right, let's get our first guest here on LiveWire. He was born in Leningrad, but then he moved to Queens, New York when he was seven. Uh, these days, he's the critically acclaimed and best-selling author of five books, including Super Sad True Love Story, Absurdistan, and The Russian Debutante's Handbook. His latest work, Our Country Friends, has been called The Great American Pandemic Novel. We were so excited to have him join us in front of a live audience in Portland last year. Take a listen to this. It's Gary Steingart talking to us at the Alberta Rose Theater here on LiveWire. Hello. Gary, welcome back. Thank you. So good to be here. I love you, Portland. <laughs> well done. Uh, this book is getting a lot of praise, and it is, uh, like I said, Kirkus Review is saying it's the, the great pandemic novel. When did you actually start writing it? 
I started writing it in March of 2020. Yeah, just as the pandemic was getting on. I was a few days in and I was like, either I learn how to bake bread, which I'm really bad at, <laughs> can barely make coffee, uh, or I write a pandemic novel. And so you set out, I mean, you knew right away that you're going to set this in the current sort of moment of time. Yeah, I mean, growing up in a failed superpower, I can smell another failed superpower from a mile away. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I was thinking, you know, we had a certain president at that point, uh, plus the pandemic, everyone was dying. And I thought, yeah, this is sort of my, you know, my wheelhouse. Yeah. 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 Uh, the main character in this book is a writer who was yeah. uh, born in Russia mm. and uh, has a house in the Hudson Valley of New York. Yeah. You're a writer who was born in Russia. Yeah. Uh, who has a house in the Hudson Valley of New York. I mean, that is a crazy coincidence. <laughs> you know, write what you know is what my high school teacher taught me. Uh, I have no imagination whatsoever. <laughs> you know, I can't write Dune. This is the moment. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know from sandworms. Uh, <laughs> this is all I can do, folks. <laughs> I want that to be a blurb on your next book. I don't know from sandworms. Gary Steinberg. <laughs> that could be the title. Yeah. I, I don't know from sandworms. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but but as I understand it, you were so this book is is a, a bunch of friends kind of get right. together during the pandemic at this country house and uh, all kinds of stuff happens. And my understanding is you were kind of living in a version of this yeah. yourself, like you really had friends together staying with you or just visiting. Um, I had a little pod of people. There's many writers who have fled from uh, places like Brooklyn and now live full-time uh, in the Mid-Hudson Valley. In fact, uh, I was at the DMV trying to get my license renewed, and this woman came out and said... No people from Brooklyn on this line. If you're from Brooklyn, go home. So there's a lot of anti-Brooklyn sentiment, which is great, again, because I'm from Manhattan, so it's fine. Uh, but I do have some friends, and we did form a pod, and it was very sweet. I realized how much I loved my friends, you know, and we really got to know each other much better, and my kid had playmates and stuff like that. So I have to say the pandemic wasn't that awful for me. I, I know it was a tragedy in many other parts of the world, including New York, which is just 100 miles to the south, but we did, we did okay. You, you're such an observant and funny writer. There's this kind of omniscient voice in this book that's kind of filling in the gaps of what people are really thinking. Mm -hmm. And it had me wondering if I was really your friend and I really would <laughs> go hang out with you and then I read this book, if I would be devastated. Because like I know those thoughts. Everyone's having those thoughts all the time. I choose to just kind of black that out. Right. You choose to emphasize it. It's so funny you say that. I, I've written about people I've known uh, before, and nobody ever guesses that they're that character. Because people have no self-knowledge, you know. <laughs> to me, comedy is, I think I'm a giraffe, but I'm, I'm five foot five and more like an aardvark, but I, I think I'm a giraffe, you know. Like those Jack Russell Terriers that think they're giant dogs, etc. I once wrote a book called Absurdistan, which was about this 325-pound son of a Russian oligarch. Mm -hmm. And my friend at the time was this 325-pound son of a Russian oligarch. <laughs> and one day in Manhattan, or was it London, one of those places oligarchs live, uh, I see him chasing after me, and I'm like, oh my god, he's going to kill me. And then he catches up to me and he says, I just read Absurdistan. Who's that idiot Misha in the book? <laughs> and that's just how it is, you know. So your friends have not uh, called you and said, am I 
this character in our country friends. No, but there's an actor, there's a very famous actor in the book, super famous, so hot, oh my God. Uh, I was like attracted to him as I was writing this. I was like, this is... Yeah, you wrote him very beautifully. And very the, the women in the book notice it as well. Notice it and many of them... Uh, Act on access it. it. Access, yes. He's a national treasure, so yeah. to speak. Uh, and during pandemic times, he has to help everyone out uh, with their fantasies. This is a super hot book, folks. Yeah. Um, not telling you to buy it, but... <laughs> uh, what were we talking about? Oh, uh, oh yeah, hot the actors. actor. Yeah, and, and because yeah. this actor is is this character is kind of a lot, and they're mostly not even named in the book, like mm-hmm. their real name. They're called the actor. Can you now, for the first time on Liveware, say exactly who this person is? Oh God, there's a lot of speculation. Just follow me on Twitter. There's a lot of speculation about. Wait, are it. you using this to pump your Twitter account? Absolutely, at Steingart. If you can spell it, you can access it. <laughs> Even I don't know how to spell it. I have to do a spell check. Um, you know, my phone yeah. now autocorrects to your the proper spelling of your name. That's oh my god! So every time you're trying to write schmuck, it says Steingart yep. instead. That's exactly great. right. It's great. I love it. Who do people think the actor is? Or, or well, I mean, people guess. I've worked in, uh, with various actors. Uh, uh, James Franco was a student of mine. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a great video of me making out with him uh, for this cause. Uh, um, <laughs> who, who else was there? If that didn't uh, drive the the Twitter numbers, I don't know what will. Yeah, well, that really. I have a, yes, that helped. Um, who else? Oh, Ben Stiller. I worked with um, Jake Gyllenhaal. So people are always guessing which one that is. But. Well, you and Taylor Swift in the news this week regarding Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal. I know. Yeah. Somebody wrote, it's the only inter- interaction between Steingardians and Swift Boaters, or whatever it's called. <laughs> Swifties. Swifties. I think sorry. Swift Boaters were the ones that took down John oh Kerry. Sorry. <laughs> this seems I'm like so a good political. time to break. Yeah. Um, oh, God. This is Live Wire. We're talking to Gary Steingart. His new book is Our Country Friends. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners... Uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm-hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including... Uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, And, Elena, uh, one more thing, that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm-hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. 
vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. ZBiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. ZBiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make ZBiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. ZBiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to Livewire from PRX. We're coming in from the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We're talking to Gary Steingart about his new book, Our Country Friends. Um, I have family that lived in Russia, and I know like dacha culture is a really big thing. But for people that are unfamiliar, can you kind of explain how that works and, and why that's sort of something you've brought over to the States with you? Yeah, uh, and thank you for pronouncing dacha correctly. Uh, many people I know call it dachau, and Ooh. I'm like, that's no. a whole different thing. That's a yeah. different kind of camp. Um, yeah. But uh, yes, Adacha, sorry about that, Uh, Adacha traditionally in Russia is a small country house. It could be big, but most people, when I was growing up in Leningrad or in Moscow, you had a little, uh, really just a tiny A-frame usually with a tiny plot for potatoes and dill. And and, and during tougher times, which in Russia is most times, uh, you often rely on that as a food source when there's no food anywhere else. Um, So we had, when I was growing up in, in America, I didn't speak English real good. Uh, but we had, uh, and, and kids always bullied me for being a Soviet kid. Also, I wore a giant furry hat all the time, uh, um, which now is super hip, but I didn't know it then. Um, and so, and I didn't speak English, but in upstate in Ellenville, another part of uh, upstate, we had a little bungalow colony just for Russian kids. And that was so sweet because we didn't make fun of each other. We all had the same accent uh, and little dachas, little uh, summer homes. And so all my life, I wanted to spend most of my life, I wanted to move back upstate full time. That was my dream. And I'm almost there. I'm there about 60% of the time. But one day I'll leave New York, which, you know, is just a collection of Walgreens at this point and and Chase Banks. There's nothing going on, you know. Um, In the book, the main uh, sort of characters who own the country house they met at a kind of summer camp, the, the type you're describing. Yeah, well, actually, a lot of the characters, yeah, two did. So the yeah. owners of it, yes, yeah. you're right, I'm sorry. Sasha and Masha are the two Russians, and their kid is Natasha. <laughs> Russians have no imagination. So Sasha, Masha, and Natasha live in this house, but they're... <laughs> sorry. It's, it's just so much fun to say. I know, it's, yeah, that's, it's all a joke. Um, there's even a character called D. Cameron, like the Decameron. Uh, and then there's the uh, three friends in the book uh, went to the same kind of math and science nerd mm-hmm. school that I did, uh, Stuyvesant High School in Manhattan. Uh, and so, yes, this book really is about friendship. I usually write about uh, 
people with horrifying immigrant parents, but this time the, the children are in their 40s already and they've already internalized the horror of their parents, so now they can be awful to one another instead of relying on their parents to provide all the fun. Right, it's interesting because like Masha is sort of the outlier and that yeah. she actually had good parents. Yes. And she's like, I basically, I refuse to apologize for having had decent parents. That's her, that's her shtick throughout the whole novel. She's like, I'm sorry I had good parents and I'm a decent person, you know, and screw all of you. And she's also a psychiatrist, which I think is like the highest form of good. <laughs> I have like seven of them, so you know, with a social worker pitching in every once in a while. You're listening to Livewire from PRX. We're talking to Gary Steingart. His new book is Our Country Friends. Uh, this is not going to work for radio, but I'm very interested in the font that was chosen for the cover of the book. Is this papyrus? <laughs> it is... What's going on here? I don't know. You I don't, don't know get to choose this? Yeah, I, I, don't, yeah, I don't choose fonts. I don't know. All I know is Calibri or something. Uh. <laughs> it's an interesting look to the book. It yeah. feels a little nostalgic to me, but yeah. like in a good way. It kind of takes me back maybe yeah. to a sort of 80s yeah. sort of vibe. Yeah, I think you're right. It's designed to evoke nostalgia. There's a, uh, there's a wine glass in there with the wine less than half full, which I guess alludes to the mortality we're all uh, facing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but there is a kind of nostalgia. It's a very funny book I want yeah. to mention as well. Oh, yeah, sorry. And did I mention the hotness of the actor? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, going back to nostalgia, when I was writing this book, I felt very nostalgic because it was the pandemic. I was upstate mostly by myself. I was walking up and down this country road, and I started calling my friends who have been scattered all over the globe, Berlin, Los Angeles, all these different cities, and we started talking about, we started remembering things that we had all forgotten, like how when we were kids, we used to lie at home with our princess phones or whatnot, and we would watch The Simpsons, and then we'd talk on a, like a party line about everything that was happening yeah. on The Simpsons. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, Mo did this, you know. <laughs> it was such an innocent time, and, and all of that kind of stuff made it into the book, that sense of, ah, life was better 40 years ago, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's not, a, uh, there's really no elegant way to make this pivot, Gary. Oh, sh- I know it's coming. I know it's coming. <laughs> you wrote an incredibly vivid essay in the New Yorker. Oh boy! About your circumcision that happened when you were older than most people are for having a circumcision. Yeah, I think in Judaism, eight days is the prescribed uh, snip snip date. And yours uh, was when? Seven years old. Yeah. So I know. Yeah. Thank you, America. Good job, country. Um, <laughs> Yeah, as soon as I came here, my parents fell under the influence of some Chabadniks, followers of the Lubavitcher rabbi. They came in to our house and they said, hey, let's circumcise your kid. It'll be fun, you know. Uh, yeah, welcome to America and now. Uh, and the circumcision went, well, it's a New Yorker piece that you could read, but uh, it went very badly. And uh, in about four decades afterwards, uh, the pain, last year, the pain came back because of some Thing that happened that I want to describe on radio, but it's an unforgettable yes. piece of writing. It's yes. unforgettable. Yeah, I mean, it's it started a kind of movement about circumcision. Like uh, the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine just invited me to present my penis to them, which is oh wow, wow. that's hugely a real exciting. Honor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're gonna get the best, you know. Um, stuff like that's happening. Rabbis are writing in saying maybe we're not gonna prescribe this anymore. Doctors. So it's been uh, it's wow. been a, it's it's an article that made a little bit of change. I were think. you? Did you have that as a sort of even faint hope when you wrote the piece? I was thinking that, so as I was researching the piece, I talked to a lot of friends of mine, and I thought, am I the only person, you know, with a, you know, America broke my penis, but it won't break my spirit kind of attitude. Um, that's the name of my forthcoming memoir. Yes, that's that should be the name the of your next. Yes, yeah, that's yeah, the, we're use going that with, font. It's, yeah. it's, we're going with it's, Comic Sans. It's fairly, yeah. <laughs> genital Sans, yes. or Sans Genital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, show's over. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. We're yeah. not we're going to we're yeah. not going to beat that. <laughs>
Okay. We have yeah, to just end the show Mike now. Drop. Yeah, yeah. No, but but in in some seriousness, it is obviously such a personal topic, and and you wrote about it in this very very open, honest way. Were you uh, nervous about that, or how it was going to be received? Look, I mean, I think a lot of the men I talked to, who I've discovered tons of men with botched circumcisions, and I think a lot of them don't want to talk about it because many are younger, still hoping one day to start a family, although many have failed in relationships, in part at least because hmm. of what what has happened to them. Uh, I am much older. I have a family. Everyone's nice, you know, and I'm fine with people knowing about my issues, but I know that a lot of men aren't. Uh, in just researching it with my group of maybe 20 friends, I discovered four men uh, who have had stuff happen to them. So this is, this, is a, this is one of the most unspoken about issues out there. I'd heard you in an interview saying that, that while you were enduring this really bad pain, writing this book, Our Country Friends, was kind of the one break from the pain? It was the only break from the pain. And also at this point, I don't want to give away too much to people who read it, but a character in this book undergoes terrible pain. And I had slotted that in before my own pain started. But when my pain started, I was like, oh, I know exactly what it's like. Mm. And also he goes through all these hallucinations and Mm. the drugs I prescribed, I was hallucinating half the day. And there were maybe three hours in the day when I felt sane enough to write. And during those hours, I would just access all the things that had just happened to me. So from a writer's perspective, it was amazing. It was like perfect material. I was suicidal, but (laughs) other than that, (laughs) l'chaim, you know? (laughs) Well, we're glad to hear that uh, that you're feeling a little bit better because it sounds like it was uh, extremely, extremely painful. Um, uh, we are talking to Gary Steingart here on Livewire as part of the Portland Book Festival this week. Uh, Gary, you have been on the program before, and so I think you know that when we have someone on the show, we like to try to really get to know them at their sort of deepest, the most core part of them. I feel like the conversation about your circumcision really yeah, took us there. I think so. Yeah. But we may be able to, uh, to go even deeper oh. into your mind with an exercise that we call the Jar of Truth. The kind of, um, the sort of centerpiece of this book is friendship. Yeah. Um, it's obviously called Our Country Friends, and it's a topic that you've written about uh, various places, and so we uh, have these questions in the jar of truth okay. that are about friendship. So oh. here's what's going to happen. We're going to have you select a random question. Uh-huh. Elena Passarella will read the question to you about friendship, and we would like to get your honest answer. Okay. Is it possible, Gary, to refer to multiple people as your best friend? Oh, yes. <laughs> I do that all the time. It's ridiculous. You know, like I'll meet somebody and they'll be talking w- with adoration about someone else. Oh, God, you know, the music of David Byrne. And I say, that's so funny. He's my, one of my best friends, really. <laughs> I met him once at a right. gallery. <laughs> and he nodded to me as he does, you know. And so I thought, this is my best friend now. <laughs> I do it all the time. Yeah. Well, I could see how people would think they were your best friend because you are known to be great at writing blurbs for people's yes. books and writing a lot yes. of them. Yes, uh, a documentary has been made about my blurbing. Yeah, just on YouTube. Yeah, it's called Gary's Promiscuous Blurbing or something. Yeah. I've blurbed everyone, you know. Uh, I, I blurred Molly Ringwald. I mean, wow. yeah. One of your best friends. <laughs> one of my best friends. I met her at a party. <laughs> All right, one more, one one more, more question oh from the Jar of Truth. Okay. Uh, Okay, Gary, when your friend tells you sensitive information and asks you not to tell anyone, oh, this is such a good question, can you still tell your partner? I don't tell my partner. I do tweet about it, though. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> because that's different. I think when people ask you not to tell, it's you don't tell your partner, you tell your friends. But there's nothing about telling uh, Twitter. So yeah. at Steingart for all the latest information <laughs> on all of my friends, who apparently are very famous. Yeah. Occasional author and full-time Twitter self-promoter, Gary Steingart, everyone, Thank you. right here on Live. Thank you. That was Gary Steingart, right here on LiveWire. His latest book, Our Country Friends, is available now. And a little update, since we last spoke with Gary for that interview you just heard, he is part of the writing team of the HBO limited series The Palace, starring Kate Winslet. Hey, special thanks this episode to Eileen Haddon of Anderson Island, Washington, not just for being responsible for our executive producer, Laura Haddon, which is primary to the mission of Livewire, but also for supporting the show. And you know who's helping Eileen in that? Catherine Butler of Portland, Oregon. Eileen and Catherine are part of the Livewire member community, and they are making a donation each month to the program, and we're very thankful for that because it's how we are able to keep doing Livewire. So a huge thanks for so many reasons to Catherine and Eileen. This is Livewire, as we like to do each week. We've asked the listeners a question because we are talking about friendship this week. We asked the listeners, what is the kindest thing a friend has ever done for you? Elena has been collecting up those responses. What are you seeing? Here's one from Justin. A friend once sent Justin same-day cupcake delivery when he got COVID. (laughs) That is really thoughtful. I don't think I can get same-day cupcake delivery here in Corvallis, but if I did... Are you putting it out there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's, yeah. Why, come on, Corvallis. Show up. You're letting me know that if next time you're, you're feeling a little under the weather, if it's possible down there, you would accept same-day cupcake delivery. Yeah. Yeah. I'd even accept same-day, day-old cupcake delivery. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even the condition of the cupcakes. It's that they get to you rapidly, that you're really interested in. They're little bombs of joy, those cupcakes. What's another nice thing that someone had done for them? (laughs) Check this one out from Drew. Drew says, a friend once covered my bail money as well as her own when we were both arrested in college for underage drinking. She bailed herself out and then learned my friends didn't bail me out. And so she got some more money to bail me out. And (gasps) then that friend turned out to become my wife. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Leave no Drew behind. I believe was. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, that's how you know that uh, she's a keeper. If she bails you Absolutely. out of jail. That may, yeah, that, that's how you know someone might have a crush on you, too. If, if they bail you, if like they come back to bail you out of jail, you know, that you may have a romantic future with that person. Uh, I think also it would make a really good country song, Drew. I don't mm-hmm. know if, uh, if, if Drew is in the country songwriting market, but I would totally listen to the ballad of Drew and Charlene. Bailing <laughs> each other out of jail and then getting married. <laughs> That's a heck of a meet cute, too. Yeah, totally. You know, when people ask, how did you meet? Well, we were both doing time down in the Hooskow, and uh, she managed to get sprung first, and then she got me out. We met in the slammer. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, one more nice thing that somebody did for one of our listeners. Uh, how about this one from Lori? Lori says, I had some minor surgery, and my ex was waiting for me with ice packs, several types of soup and juice, freshly laundered sweats, and a big fluffy blanket. He stayed for two days and waited on me hand and foot. I have just one question for Lori, though. This sounds amazing. <laughs> amazing. 
multiple kinds of soup? Come on. Was this person your ex when they did this? You know this as a writer, Elena. It's the beginning of a really interesting story if the person was the ex at the time. I hope it is. I hope that it's like the best ex-partner ever. I'll tell you this. I have recently started bragging that I am one of America's leading (laughs) ex-husbands. Actual husband, not great. Ex-husband, absolutely knocking it out of the park. I'm on great terms with the two people who I uh, used to be married to. So this could happen. I pride myself on being the ex-girlfriend that gets invited to the weddings of my former partners. Uh, I think I, I think we're at like five. Wow. That's got to be some kind of record. They're like, how do you know the bride and groom? It's like, well, <laughs> ah, I know one of them real well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that seems like a good place to wrap this up. Thank you to everyone who sent in their responses uh, to our listener question. We've got one for next week's show that we're going to reveal at the end of today's program, so do stick around for that. In the meantime, our next guest is a stand-up comedian who's appeared on The Late Late Show with James Corden. She's actually all over TikTok these days, starring in these like really funny viral dance trends, which means that Variety Magazine was absolutely correct when they named her one of the top 10 comics to watch in 2022. Also, Importantly, the last time that she was on Livewire, she told a story of making tongue contact with a stranger's dog. (laughs) (laughs) And I really actually almost hurt myself laughing. So just a warning. um, She is dangerously funny. Take a listen to our friend Atsuko Okatsuka performing in front of a live audience at the Alberta Rose Theater back in 2021. to see you again. Good to see you. You know, people think I'm mature uh, because I'm married. Yeah, uh, but I would argue that getting married is the childlike thing to do. Yeah, yeah, because married people, what do we say? They say things like, I found my best friend. You know, that's very childlike. Just everything we own, split it in half. That way it's half and half. (laughs) Yeah, we get to do everything together all the time. That's married people. It's very childlike. It's very childlike. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, if you're single and having to date around, that's very adult. It's very adult. Yeah, because when you're single and having to date around, you have to do things like get to places on time. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, you have to be interesting. Okay. Yeah, you have to seem emotionally stable. Especially when you're on a first date with someone, right? The stakes are high. Do you want to be alone forever? No. Okay. So if any of you are single and having to date around, I commend you. I commend you. You're way more adult than the married couple. Yeah, because back to the married couple, we're still saying, saying things like, we're going to be together forever and ever, till death do us part. How do we know? Because these rings said so. It's very childlike. It's very childlike. I am a child. Yeah. Uh, there comes a point in a marriage when, you know, you become each other's family. 
You know, you do. You become each other's family. It's inevitable, you know. Uh, but you're still sleeping with each other, you know. Yeah, that is, if you can, get over that mind fudge. Okay? Yeah, yeah, because people are always like, yeah, me and my husband, we don't sleep with each other anymore, you know. And it's like, well, maybe it's because he calls you mom. I, I would stop too. I would stop too. It's hard. It's hard. You know, that line. It's so hard. Because my husband, when he gets groceries, uh, we do this thing where he brings back a surprise treat that's not on the grocery list, and it's what I look forward to every week. Yeah, and it's very sweet and very cute, but uh, that is also how our relationship turned into a father-daughter one. <laughs> It's hard, it's hard. Romantic partners turn family, you know? Yeah, still sleeping with each other. Yeah. And uh, I, I like synchronized choreographed dances with other people uh, because I was a cheerleader in high school and that part of me just never left, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, like, I hate it when people do their own dances on the dance floor, no. I think we should always, always be synchronized. Always synchronized, yeah, it's more beautiful that way, right? Just everyone telling the same story, you know? Yeah, always, always, yeah, yeah. And so I got to a point where I started teaching my husband these choreographed dance moves so we could shoot it and put it online, you know? Yeah, and I would make him match with me, wear the same clothes, same hair, everything, you know? And at one point, my husband broke down and cried. Yeah, because I was being a terror, you know? Yeah. He was crying. He said, I hate doing these dances with you. I don't want to do these with you anymore because you always want to make us look like we're sisters. <laughs> and he's right. He's right. He's right. It's messed up, so I stopped making him do it. Yeah, it's right. he's right because he's not my sister. No, he's my father. <laughs> Y'all are sick. <laughs> it's on you. It's a tango, you know, it takes two. It's great to be here, though. It really is. It's great to be performing again, you know, because during the pandemic, I, I really almost lost myself. You know, I, I really almost did. Uh, like, I really thought that I was going to start planting lettuce. And then my husband had to remind me that that's not my personality. <laughs> Yeah, he stopped me. He was like, stop, stop. Uh, that's someone else's interest. And I was like, oh my God, it is. This is not my interest, you know? Yeah, but I already had the lettuce ready, so I dropped it. You know, he was like, stop, what do you think you're doing? I was like, you're right, I'm not a farmer. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. He saved me a lot of time. Yeah, possibly years, right? From living out someone else's identity. Yeah, it was beautiful. And you might be like, well, Atsuko, like, what are your interests, you know, if it's not farming, you know? Uh, what are your interests? And it's like, I don't think I particularly have any. But like, that's also a personality too, you know? 
It is. It is. And that should be empowering. Yeah. That should be empowering. Yeah, if you're like, I also don't have hobbies or interests. That's okay. That's okay. You're still a whole person. Yeah, because what are we? What, we're all going to make sourdough? Oh, we're all going to make sourdough? We can't all be bakers. No. Someone's got to be the buyer. And I'm just saying that's me, you know? Yeah. All right, Portland, I'm going to get real, real, okay? And I'll skedaddle, okay? Uh, so this is what I'm really going through. This is what I'm really going through, okay? Uh, the other day, I was looking through old family photos uh, when I was hit with this dark realization that uh, my father and I have the same body. It was a long night, very lonely night, you know, just flipping through. Oh, my God, in his 20s and 30s, me and him, same body, same body, yeah. And my husband, he's so sweet. He always tells me, God, you have such a hot bod, you know. And then he always asks, how'd you get such a hot bod? And now I know. Now I know, yeah. But I don't think I have it in me to tell him yet, you know? Uh, yeah, I figure he'll find out sooner or later, you know, when the pandemic's really over and uh, we go to Bali to visit my father where he lives and uh, we go to the beach and uh, we're all in our bathing suits. And at some point, my father and I will stand right next to each other, <laughs> overlooking the ocean, you know, with our hot bods. And my husband will look over at us and he'll be like, wait. And I'll be like, it's weird for me too. It's weird for me too. And it is weird for me, Portland. It is for me to find this out after all these years. Okay, to know that all this time, my dad too would have looked good in a belly button ring. All those wasted moments where we could have been wearing matching crop tops, showing off our sleek waistline that we apparently share. Okay, it's messed up. I don't like it. It's messed up. But I should have known. I should have known. Because one time my dad did get cold, so he, I let him borrow my jacket. And that's when I was like, oh my God, you also look good in free people. I should have known. I should have known. But I like to look at the brighter side of things, you know? Knowing this, not so great, yeah? But uh, I was like, well, now my dad and I could swap clothes, <laughs> right? I could wear his hand-me-downs. And uh, this next part is where it gets dicey, but only because I'm unsure of the punchline. So if you guys can stay with me. Will you stay with me? Okay, you'll stay with me? Okay. Okay, okay, I'll go back a little. Okay. But I like to look at the brighter side of things. You know, I was like, well, now my dad and I could swap clothes. I could wear his hand-me-downs. And uh, it's not every day that people can say that they inherited their dad's literal genes. Yes, no, hey, you said you would stay with me. I said stay with me. I said I was on show. Because I'll ask you this, I'll ask you this. What makes a joke a dad joke anyway? You know what? You guys ask me, okay? What makes a joke a dad joke anyway? What makes a joke a dad joke anyway? Oh, uh, I guess it's when <laughs> it 
becomes a parent. Otsuka, Okatsuka. That was Atsuko Okatsuka right here on Livewire. Uh, since last being on the show, Atsuko has announced that her first comedy special will be streaming on HBO later this year. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello on Livewire from PRX. We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we will be right back. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. And they make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Okay, before we get to this week's musical guest, a little preview of what is coming up on next week's show. First up, we are going to be talking to the extremely hilarious Ginny Hogan about her new book, I'm More Dateable Than a Plate of Refried Beans, which details the ups and downs of modern romance. Forbes named her a rising star of satire. Then we're going to talk to Oregon's poet laureate, Anise Moshgani, about his love of poetry. And then we are going to hear some music from the one, the only, Jimmy Harrod. And as always, we're going to be looking to get your answer to our listener question. Elena, what are we asking the listeners for next week's show? We want to know, what is your biggest dating red flag? <laughs> Holding a fish in their dating profile. That, I've heard, is the, is the particularly here in the Pacific Northwest, is really the default setting for a lot of people uh, looking to, um, you know, find online romance. Is like somebody's holding a fish for some reason. <laughs> okay, if, um, if you have got an answer to that question for us, what is your biggest dating red flag? Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio and send in your response. Okay, our musical guest this week met on the banks of the Mississippi, and they've been touring the U.S. ever since, racking up over 500 shows all across the country from Bellingham, Washington to Bangor, Maine. They've also released five albums of original work, including 2020's A Perfect Plan, which No Depression magazine called A Perfect Album for This Moment. Take a listen to The Lowest Pair, recorded last year at the Alberta Rose Theatre in Portland. Hey. Hey there. Going? Kendall and Palmer, welcome back to the program. Howdy. Um, we've missed you. Uh, Kendall, it sounds like you've been staying busy, though. You went to the South Pole to work <laughs> at a research station, but also you ran a marathon at the South Pole? Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I, I like I run a lot anyway, and I was there, and there was a marathon, and I thought, well, here's my one chance to run a marathon in Antarctica. I don't want to tell you how to tell your story, Kendall, but I feel like you're leaving <laughs> out some pretty important details. It was minus 36 degrees, and you set a new record time? Uh, for women, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. 
I haven't really figured out how to talk about it yet, apparently. It's also 10,000 feet elevation, so it's a... They got to make that place so inhospitable. They make it really challenging to live there, yeah. Palmer, what, what have you been doing since we last saw you? <laughs> Started rewatching Game of Thrones. <laughs> that is the more relatable way to spend a, a pandemic. Uh, well, what song are we going to hear? Uh, we're going to do a new song. It's called Mount Rainier. Okay. This is the lowest pair on Livewire. Blue, blue is by and by. 
That was The Lowest Pair here on Livewire, recorded last year at the Alberta Rose Theater. Uh, they have released another album since then, Horse Camp, and it is out as of last week. So take a listen to that. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Livewire. A huge thanks to our guests, Gary Steingart, Atsuko Okatsuka, and The Lowest Pair. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sepchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. Our marketing manager is Paige Thomas. And our production fellow is Tanvi Kumar. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, Sam Tucker, A.L. Alves, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer, and our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Additional funding provided by the Marie Lamprum Charitable Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank members Eileen Haddon of Anderson Island, Washington, and Catherine Butler of Portland, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.